What we're not doing is tilting the portfolio to reflect recent experience. Because, for example, energies, as we now see in 2014, was a terrific place to have a decent allocation. And frankly, I think Aspect's performance was due to our significant allocation to energies. Energies have been an absolute bear <laughs> to, to trade over the previous two or three years. It's, it's really unpredictable and you have to maintain as consistent and agnostic an, an allocation or a risk commitment to these sectors as, as you possibly can. This is Marty Lueck, co-founder and director of research at Aspect Capital and you're listening to my year-end review on Top Traders Unplugged. Imagine spending an hour with the world's greatest traders. Imagine learning from their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Imagine no more. Welcome to Top Traders Unplugged, the place where you can learn from the best hedge fund managers in the world so you can take your manager due diligence or investment career to the next level. Here's your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup Larsen. Welcome back, Marty, for this uh, quick review of 2014, where we look at the big events from the point of view of your trading strategy. I want to explore the ups and the downs, as well as the big takeaway from what can only be described as a great year for systematic trading strategies in general, but of course, trend following in particular. But as we know, just because you're systematic in your trading, it doesn't necessarily mean that your strategy deals with market events in a similar way. So I'm excited to hear what you saw in the past year and I thought we should just jump right into it. So tell me a little bit about 2014 from your perspective. How did the year evolve both for the strategy and, and, and maybe for the, the firm and, and, and the research as a whole? Uh, well, Niels, uh, Happy New Year to you and, and to uh, everyone listening to Top Traders Unplugged. Thank you, Marcy. Um, and a uh, pleasure to speak with you again. Yeah, 2014 really was a, an extremely interesting year. Um, as, as everyone is aware, it's been a challenging period for the, the systematic industry in general and people committed to trend following you know, more specifically. Um, for Aspect, gosh, um, <laughs> it really was a... Uh, a roller coaster ride because we came off the back of 2013 and the you know there were signs of a brighter dawn so in fact our 2013 performance although slightly negative represented a profitable trend following um year in 2013 sure. uh, but in but a small loss on the non-profitable uh, that was sufficient just to drag the whole portfolio slightly negative. Sure. Um, but we entered 2014 somewhat optimistic that more favorable uh, conditions were returning um, to, to trend following, yeah. um, only to see that evaporate <laughs> very quickly at the start of <laughs> the January, year. In January, yes, I remember. So that. It, w it was a brutal start to the year, and we, like uh, you know, like our clients and like every other manager, thought, "Goodness me." I you know how long is this going to go on for? Um, and and then things started to um, sort of some some trends started to reestablish themselves after after all of the geopolitical uncertainty 
sort of Q1 that that um, that represented that drawdown. Sure. So so it, a very broad, you know, from thirty thousand foot. Actually, by the for end of Q1, I think we were in a pretty, you know, we were in a drawdown. Sure. By the middle of the year, I think we were back to flat on the year, sure. and and by the end of the year, we were thirty two percent up. Yeah. Um, in the in the diversified program, so that is absolute testimony to the um, episodic nature of the trends that that these kind of strategies capture, and also um, to the uh, you know the benefits of a systematic strategy. So I know we're going to dig into it, sure. but the headline features are that the the big opportunity set uh, being short of of oils um, and and also remaining long in the fixed income sector and in fact getting long and staying long with the dollar those were the the big contributors to profit in 2014 you you, you had to have a systematic um, approach to be able to capture those I think that you know uh, if you if I were a discretionary trader <laughs> It would not have been that successful a year because you you would not have been able to call those trades and get into them uh, in time and with enough conviction um, to to make the kind of profits that we and many of our peers did in 2014. No, I agree. I'd like to stay with the headlines a little bit. And I know you're way too modest to to mention this. I'm going to do it for you that, in fact, 2014 was the best year ever for Aspects. So congratulations uh, on that. Um, but I, I want to uh, also ask, in particular you, because uh, uh, people will know from our first conversation that that you have a, a very long uh, uh, history in in this uh, in this area. And I want to ask you if this year reminds you of anything. Is there anything when you look back and you say, "This really is just how trend following is," or? Or, or was there anything unusual at all about what happened in 2014? Because as we know, uh, you know Morgan Stanley, uh, when they asked institutional investors in in you know in December 2013, only 2% said that CTAs would would be the best performing strategy in in in, in 2014. Absolutely. Um, we know that a lot of, uh, and I think maybe around the time we spoke last, a lot of people were writing off trend following. Period. I mean, yep. it's never going to work again. So, is there anything? When you look at 2014, really from the big picture point of view, um, even from an emotional point of view, um, that reminds you of a period you've been through before? Well, um, yes, in in many ways. So, you know, I'm very cautious, having done this for a long time, you know, I'm very cautious to declare any sort of victory or celebrate the fact that it was, you know, you know, this is obviously we'd love to to deliver this kind of performance to our clients every year. But we are at pains to point out that uh, it is episodic in nature um, and it's very hard to predict when you're going to get these kind of opportunity sets. Mm. And and that's the whole point. So if it, if it did make 2% for our clients every month and just went up in a straight line, wouldn't life be easy? <laughs> the, the nature of, of what we do is that we spend an awful lot of our lives in drawdowns. So if you think about it, the, the nature of the, the return profile for managed futures is you get, um, you know, st- steep and sharp I- increases in NAV. And then generally you'll go into a drawdown for a period of time and then you'll get a a, a recovery to that. So, sure. 
we need to be psychologically prepared to, to live under those conditions, and so do our clients. So the, the client that says, well, Martin, I'm going to withdraw some or all of my, my assets, and I'm going to wait until you've had sort of three good months, and then we're going to come back in. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a great strategy with managed futures. So as we are all at pains to point out, the, in order to realize the benefits of diversification that this genuinely does and will afford you in your, in your portfolio, you've got to have a consistent allocation to it, and you must maintain that consistently. So that's, that's been our mantra for, for many years. I think as, as people, lost confidence in momentum as a um, return as driver, a, as a return driver, as a factor or, or a strategy. Um, we've been at pains to try and reiterate the, the, the long-term persistence of the effect. Um, we were very uh, happy to fund some of the research that the, the uh, team of academics did at University College Cork, uh, mm -hmm. and they came up with a very interesting paper that you'll recall looked at periods of market stress following crises periods, and they used the periods that Rogoff and Reinhardt had identified uh, in their book, This Time It's Different, mm -hmm. um, and concluded that they you know, the sort of big takeaways from that paper was, number one, if you go back 100 years, I think back to the, the beginning of the uh, 20th century, you know, there is evidence that momentum investing is a consistent and persistent um, source of, of outperformance, um, but that in the period following market crises, your expectation of, of, of return is significantly diminished. Um, and, and that looks like a, you know, a fairly consistent result. And that looked like, um, of course, <laughs> of course, we would choose to interpret it that way. Sure. But in the, in the period following the, um, uh, the, the credit crisis, um, we were in one of those, those doldrums. Um, and that, so that's what we were encouraging our clients to, um, to see in in events, um, their their paper was also supported by I think the AQR paper, a hundred years of trend following, and then yeah. I, I think um, uh, CFM came up with two hundred years, and I think <laughs> that there's where are we now? I think uh, Alex Grazerman, exactly, and yeah, Catherine Kaminsky now have seven hundred years of trend following. So, so where next? It'll be extraterrestrial trend following, um, but. That experience, so the, so the uh, academic piece that uh, UCC did, and also my own experience, because back in the in the AHL days, we went through the aftermath of um, you know the 1987 sure. crash, sure. Um, and there were a lot of echoes there. So you know, we after after the October crash of '87, there was a period of, if you will, crisis alpha big run up in in the returns of the AHL program and then a long and extended and painful doldrums until about 93 94 mm -hmm. um, where you almost saw a, a clear out of 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 extended period of risk aversion and concerted intervention by central banks and the markets returned to what i would consider as a more normal uh, environment and strong returns persisted for several years now uh, that in no way am I predicting that 2015, <laughs> 16, 17 will sure. be will be blockbusters. But I would say that 
I think that the environment that uh, we did see returning to markets, you know, a lack of or, or a reduction in the correlation between markets sure. and a divergence in central bank outlook, if you will, you know, that presages a, a broader opportunity set um, for, for this kind of strategy. Yeah, no, absolutely. You mentioned some of the big contributors last year, certainly energies and bonds, which uh, I agree, if you weren't systematic, you probably wouldn't have uh, certainly not forecasted and, and, and probably not profited from those uh, big trends. What were the negatives? Did, were there any areas of the portfolio that didn't perform and, and maybe even uh, added a bit on the, on the negative side? Yeah, well, uh, really interesting. Um, so the the profitable sectors, bonds, energies, currencies, mm -hmm. um, we actually made money out of uh, agricultural commodities as well. The losing sectors for us were, were metals and stock indices. And so I think it is just worth reflecting for a minute on the um, agnostic approach that mm -hmm. we espouse, which um, what I mean by that is what we're not doing, Niels, is tilting the portfolio to reflect recent experience. Sure. Because, for example, energies, as as we now see in 2014 was a terrific place to have a, a, a decent allocation. And, and frankly, I think Aspect's performance was due to our significant allocation to energies. Had you looked, you know, energies have been an absolute bear to, to, to trade yes. for the previous two or three years. So had you pulled your horns in and said, energies, you know, ooh, I can't make any money out of that, mm. um, you would have you would have underwhelmed, you know, we would not have had the, the performance that we did in 2014. Conversely, in 2013, we made money in the metal sector, we made money in stock indices. That was, Stock indices was one of the, the outstanding um, performing sectors over that period. Sure. So, again, this is testament to it's, it's really unpredictable, mm -hmm. um, and you have to maintain as consistent uh, an agnostic and an allocation or a risk commitment to these sectors as, as you possibly can. Sure. You mentioned also early on, Marty, that uh, clearly the trend-following strategies that you run were the, were the drivers uh, of last year, but you do have some other strategies uh, inside the portfolio. Um, were there any of them... Th that surprised you in their return uh, attribution um, where you said, actually, I thought we would have done a little bit better in this type of strategy uh, given the environment we saw, or was everything really lining up as, as, as you would have expected? I, I, I think so. You, you know what? Um, the, the headline was trend following sure. in 2014. So there was there were no outstanding uh, or remarkable performances from any of our we we talk, talk about modulating components yeah. um overall it was a positive contributor to um, portfolio uh, returns but for the risk allocation it underperformed what what the um uh, trend following piece did yeah. so the naive uh, you know 
the naive allocator or investor might look at that and say, well, that, that didn't help you, so I'd prefer the portfolio that was 100% trend following. But as, as you and I know, you, you didn't know that at the sure. beginning of 2014, and frankly, you didn't even know that halfway through 2014. So we're, we're very happy with the, um, with the contribution that, that it offered. It is, sure. It's doing what it said on the tin. It's providing uh, a consistent, um, uncorrelated uh, performance stream to or performance stream consistently uncorrelated with um, with trend following, which doesn't mean inversely correlated. So it doesn't automatically lose money when trend following is having a good year. It just made less in, in yeah. 2014. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, of course, as you also mentioned that it really was a year of two tails, the first half very difficult, the second half uh, extraordinarily, um, you know, profitable for many strategies in this space. Um, and there were also some big themes, I guess, from last year that many people will remember, um, you know, Ukraine, Russia uh, situation, oil, as you mentioned. Yep. Um, but if we stretch it out a little bit into 2015, uh, where, where you and I are talking, um, you know, there was another big event uh, last week, which was uh, the decision from the Swiss Central Bank to uh, abolish the peg to the euro. And, and that obviously caused uh, some extreme volatility. And, and some of the guests that I've spoken to the last uh, few days uh, had measured, you know, there are many ways of statistically, I guess, measure these uh, moves. And, and some of them came up uh, at a scale which, uh, you know, should be completely impossible in, yeah, exactly. in you know, uh, so, so, I guess it, it, it certainly proves uh, everything that that, that, uh, that we have talked about, about uh, unpredictability and black swans will will occur. But let me ask you <clears throat> how you handle extreme situation like that uh, from, from your perspective and also whether it teaches you something, even though you've been around for a long time, have you seen certain things before? But I mean, there's always a new nuance to these uh, situations that we can learn from. So I'd love to hear your, your initial reactions. I know it's still early days, but sort of yep. your initial thoughts on that. Well, um, so just to put some context on it, when the in 2011, when the Swiss um, National Bank um, imposed the, the cap, we ceased trading, uh, or we did not include in the portfolio the um, Euro-Swiss cross rate, sure. uh, but we did not remove the dollar-Swiss cross rate because, um, you know, that there was no constraint on on that explicit um, cross rate, and also uh, the Swiss. Um, Economy is is very different from the uh, the melting pot of economies that represent the the euro. So we absolutely believed and continue to believe that that that, that those are independent and diversified instruments to to have in in the program. Um, having said all of that, we did lose some money as as you'd expect from um, from trading. Swiss franc dollar. Sure. Um, it had been in a, a a very nice and extended trend, so we had um, we had uh, built up, you know, a, a sizable position, and the move was, as you've alluded to, unprecedented, based on, you know, the history of the of uh, of the well developed uh, currencies that we trade, and based on you know the volatility measures that we. Um, 
embrace uh, all of the markets in. Um, so it was it was painful. It gave back a goodly portion of the year-to-date profits on the portfolio. We remain positive on the year. Sure. Um, so it, it's testament to um, you know trading 152 markets, um, much much better. That it was one of 152 rather than one of say eight in a in a in a currency portfolio. Um, shocking intervention, you know. Sure. Uh, Swiss National Bank um, is one of the most creditable um, central banks, and gosh, <laughs> what, 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 what a U-turn! Surprise. Yeah, what a U-turn! And so we we assembled our risk management committee and determined sure. that no intervention was appropriate for this. Sure. Um, the models responded exactly as as they are intended to. So we measure intraday what the the volatility of the program is, and we scale the positions accordingly. So as we saw, uh, volatility jump by about 70 times, yeah. um, obviously we began to reduce that position quite quickly, but not extremely quickly. So we don't snap to a new position. In fact, the, the, the trading is, um, is very, you know, is, is steady and gradual and, and took us in, in principle, you know, a number of days sure. to, um, to hit the new, um, position scale that we thought appropriate for, for volatility. Meanwhile, the signal, because we're a medium-term trend follower and it takes you know several weeks um, for the position to, to realign itself, uh, started to move um, you know gradually to reflect the um, uh, you know, the move in the Swiss franc. Um, yeah, I have two sort of specific questions on that. I wanted to hear your thoughts on. Um, one is uh, when I spoke to uh, another very uh, prominent uh, trend follower uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, he uh, very openly explained that uh, when he measures volatility, uh, you know, there is a certain level that when a market comes down in volatility and goes below that level, he will impose a minimum volatility because he thinks it's artificial if a market goes down to you know very small levels in order to avoid that the position sizing doesn't go completely mad uh, yep. because he thinks it's a risk-free trade. Yep. Do you do something similar or how do you avoid you know, the, the volatility adjustment coming becoming out of whack with what the real risk is as we saw last week? Absolutely. And and yes, yes, completely we do. We subscribe to the same uh, philosophy that sure. there is a, a minimum prudent volatility that you will uh, you, you will, have to take into account. You have to take into account. Um, so not only is the vol scaling a, a function of, uh, you know, realistic potential volatility, but also the exposure limits. So, right. so there's there's VAR scaling, there's VAR limiting, and there's also exposure limiting on, on all of these positions. And while our dollar Swiss franc position was was a good size, it was it was not near any of those caps. Sure, 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 sure. No effort. Um uh when I say not near, it was about eighty percent off. Sure. So uh, and and again just to put it in perspective, in other markets, in other cross rates where we've seen these kind of via significant violent moves you know we do treat the emerging markets 
um, in a more constrained um, and more risk averse, both in terms of the allocations and the limits that we'll embrace them in. Um, but <laughs> I don't know about you. I didn't think that the Swiss franc was an emerging market. No, but but actually that, that leads to, to my next question really. And that is we always talk about uh, futures and certainly foreign exchange is the most liquid market in the world. What about yep. liquidity risk? Did you learn something last Thursday about liquidity risk when you look at something as liquid as the Swiss franc? Niels, okay, a couple of interesting things. What I, I didn't learn through any scarring because we weren't trying furiously to trade during the sure. relatively short period that the market went, you know, extremely illiquid. What you, sure. you saw sort of effectively a gap, yep. and then you saw a lot of participants withdraw from the market, and then you saw a gradual rebound. Our models... Uh, you know, that volatility scaling just begins to trickle out gradually after a period of, you know, half an hour or so after, after the event. So we were not struggling to find um, to find liquidity. Sure. Um, had we been, you know, uh, high frequency uh, or, or caught in, in the flash crash, it might have been a different story. But this was... Exactly. You know, I wasn't surprised by the withdrawal of liquidity around a period of, of extreme uncertainty. And fortunately, our models were not you know, gasping for liquidity over that period. What I thought was interesting was to see how the liquidity of the different FX platforms, um, you know, how the spreads changed over that period, because you, you know, it kind of like uh, Warren Buffett's, you know, you can see who's wearing their swimming trunks mm -hmm. when the tide goes out. Sure. Um, there was a, an element of all of these platforms claim to be hyper liquid and, right. um, you know, lots of activity and come and trade with us. Um, and you could see where the actual liquidity was when uh, everyone else was hiding under their desks. Sure. No, that's a very interesting point uh, in, indeed. The year 2014, I can imagine that when you think about uh, the conversations with investors, I can imagine that the first part probably was spent on hand-holding and reassuring people that this is still viable. But I'm more interested actually in whether or not you feel that the conversations with investors in general, who I suspect still are quite underinvested in in this particular strategy did the conversation change towards the end of the year and and into this into this year do you feel people have a a different view um perhaps even a a, a different understanding of of what it really is that uh, you and and so many other firms are trying to do in this area Neil, I hope I hope so. Sure, <laughs> I we're sort of still in the in the midst of uh, year end reviews w with our clients. Sure. Um, obviously, the conversations got easier during the the latter half of the year, mm. and in no sense are we saying you know, see, I told you. Sure, um, but performance of two thousand fourteen is consistent with what we think the utility of this approach is in our investors portfolios mm. in no sense are we predicting that 2015 is going to be a repeat sure. in fact I, I can predict with some certainty that 2015 is just going to be different 
different yeah. <laughs> from yeah. 2014. I don't know where the opportunities are going to present themselves in 2015, and frankly, neither does anyone else, Nails. Yeah. So, you know, having an agnostic and a systematic approach, I, of course, I believe that is a, it's not the only way you should invest, but it is one of the pieces that you should have in your portfolio. So this is an opportunity to reiterate with our clients, our investors, and, and the, you know, obviously during the course of 2014 and, and 13, some people capitulated altogether from mm. the approach. Yeah. Um, we haven't started having those conversations again. For people that were losing faith but kept the faith, it's... It, it's been a, you know, they've they've been positive conversations. Yeah. There've been people saying, yes, I, you know, I understand better, or I understand the role of of, of this in the program. Um, for people that think that, you know, it's a really hard one, Niels, because I can't expect investors to to uh, make their asset allocation and then. <laughs> head to the beach. Everyone, you know, there has to be an element of looking at what's working and what you uh, forming a worldview. But I do think that the nature of, of, of managed futures is that you've got to have a, a decent allocation and you've got to have a decently consistent allocation for it to do what it's, it's, it's there to do. Sure. Now, Marty, if we allow ourselves to dream just for a few minutes here and we think back about what happened in two th after 2008, where where uh, managed futures or CTAs had a had a great year, relatively speaking. Um, the same can certainly be said about 2014, not in absolute terms just, but also relative to other uh, alternative investment strategies. Um, and, and that led to a large inflow of assets into the industry. But we also yep. know that, as you mentioned, a lot of people left uh, disappointed um, and bewildered maybe even uh, after a couple of years. Um, Now, if we dream a little bit here and we um, think that in a world that is becoming more divergent, in a world where we've now seen proof of um, anything can happen um, and we have interest rates at, uh, you know, the lowest levels we've, we've ever seen, um, yeah. some people will maybe be tempted to come back to the space or new people might even venture into it. How do we, <clears throat> how do we as managers... As a, or as an industry, how do we avoid um, the same turmoil in terms of assets flows that we saw uh, after 2008 and 9 inflows and then the outflows in, in 11 and 12 and 13? How do we or can we at all do anything to uh, avoid the instability that created, uh, which wasn't good for anyone, really? Yeah. Um I don't think there's a panacea. I think it it comes down to you know continuing education and and familiarity. I think that having been through the the cycle, you've seen it perform in 2008. Mm. If that was your first observation of it, and then you got you you invested and then got disillusioned, you've now seen it it perform strongly again in, in 2014. I don't want to project then that it, sure. it, it, it only comes along once every six years. Sure. I think there, as we've explained to our clients and also the UCC paper supports, you know, that was an extended fallow period in a post-crisis environment. Um, I, I believe that manifested itself in not 
non-normal market conditions, and there's a, there are signs that that normalcy is is uh, returning to markets. So, um, I think that the education process continues. I think that investors should be uh, steered to think about the, if you will, the factor that they're investing in rather than just looking at the manager and and um, a black box stream of returns if you if you sure. does that make sense so yeah. for me it's much more important that our investors understand the return stream that our program is generating rather than saying oh you had a good last quarter i'll have some of that do you think we need to be more selective with the clients meaning do we also need to understand the clients better or potential clients I'm. I don't. In I. I would never claim to be patronizing of, of, of my clients. No. Nope. I think that I will. You know. I, I will do. My, I will bend over backwards to tr try and help them um, to understand what it is we're trying to do and the and the return stream that I think our program will will generate. Um, But I, you know, they're they're all extremely intelligent folks, and 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 I respect that the the decisions that they make. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Now I've only got sort of a, one uh, question uh, left, um, but before that, I just, uh, as I always, want to give you a chance to bring up anything that you feel is important that you want to highlight. Any anything new that uh, you might be uh, cooking up uh, on on your side, or anything you think that uh, might be useful to uh, to just touch on before we uh, we finish for today. Um, no, I, Niels, be careful asking me an open ended question because I, <laughs> I could then talk for the next hour and a half. Um, look, 2014 was was interesting for sure. all of the reasons that we've already covered. Yeah. I think in terms of uh, you know one of the things we touched on when we spoke originally was the extended fallow period for for trend for momentum and yeah. systematic investing has meant that it's been really tough for some of the the talented smaller strategies to um you know to get a toehold yeah. um i i think there's even though i i would love that all of my uh, my investors were in, entirely rational and and the world was an entirely rational place the irony is that the sort of um, cycles that we experience of sort of investor inflow and investor withdrawal that the the behavioral underpinnings of that are many of the same behavioral underpinnings of why trends actually work mm -hmm. <laughs> as a strategy exactly. sure. so having said all of that it will be a good thing if there is some investment in in the industry and frankly if there is some some sponsoring of uh, newer strategies because sure. i think that that that's that's healthy for for everything we do sure no i think let's leave it at that that was a great way to to finish and it and and as i mentioned it is a short episode today but of course for those who want to hear much more from from marty please do go and listen to our previous conversations on top traders and plug i do want to thank you uh, marty again for being on the podcast and sharing your insights and of course i do want to congratulate you on a very uh, important and solid year as well And I want to wish you, your colleagues and your firm all the best for 2015. And I look forward to catching up later in the year. I look forward to that as well, Niels. It, it, it's always a pleasure. Nice Thank to you so you. much. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Top Traders Unplugged. 
If you feel you learned something of value from today's episode, the best way to stay updated is to go on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show so that you'll be sure to get all the new episodes as they're released. We have some amazing guests lined up for you. And to ensure our show continues to grow, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. It only takes a minute and it's the best way to show us you love the podcast. We'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.